You're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast on the Nick and Roy channel. Subscribe and share. What U.S. president served the shortest term? Who invented the instant replay? This never knew instant replay. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. And I'm Roy. And we scour the internet for information you really don't need or do you so join us this week as we present a brand new topic some science a little bit of sex and a little bit of mailbag on totally useless information it's everything you never needed to know by listening once a week you get smarter than you think the Totally Useless Information Podcast, hosted by Nick and Roy. And hello there once again. Welcome to the Totally Useless Information Podcast. We're really totally excited here on the Totally Useless Information Podcast. And you're thinking, well, why would you be excited? Because we have a brand new segment, courtesy of one of our email people who said, hey, why don't you come up with another topic? And we said, okay. And the topic? Inventions. So, because we do what we do. We created an intro for a brand new segment. We didn't do yeah. anything. No, we didn't actually. No, we, we, we didn't do it. Nick is lying. No, don't don't ruin the magic. We didn't even so come is... up. Listen, think about this, folks. We didn't come up with the segment. One of our listeners did, and we didn't right, right. come up with the intro. We are getting lazy. Innovation ideas. The totally useless information podcast presents inventions. Inventions. That was kind of cool. Yeah, it sounds like something at like Disney World when you're riding in like the future ride. Yeah, the future ride, but we're talking about history in a way. It's like inventions that have already been invented. We don't have to do it right. <laughs> no, that's why we're useless. <laughs> All right. So, being a proud Canadian, I'm going to present on this brand new topic of inventions. I'm going to present this week with Canadian inventions. For example, the paint roller. Norman Breakey came along in 1940 in Toronto. Norman Breakey came up with the paint roller, but he died before he was able to put a patent on the invention to profit from it. Whoa, so he invented it and then he rolled over. No, hold on. The first paint roller patent was held by an American, Richard mm -hmm. Croxton Adams, who picked up the paint roller and continued on, I guess. And oh. made money on it. Oh, my God. I guess Norman Brakey now is rolling in his grave. Okay. I got one. Inventions. Where do things come from? Duct okay. tape. Duct tape. Where does duct tape come from? We all use it. Everybody has duct tape. Duct tape was invented by Johnson & Johnson Laboratories. In World War II, they needed a tape that they could wrap the ammo boxes with that was waterproof. So the original duct tape only came in one color, and that was army green. And they wrapped the green metal ammo boxes with the duct tape. And then it just stuck, and people started using it because it was a great invention. Duct tape! Da-da-da-da! Just for everyone's clarification, the way you spell it is D-U-C-T. It's duct right. tape. Right. Yes. No, but I'm saying but people think it's duck like quack, quack, duck. Oh, no, no, no. You, If you think that, then you're going to have to pay for it. We're going to give you the bill. 
<laughs> Put it on my bill. So, Canadian inventor, producer of Hockey Night in Canada for CBC Television here in Canada. So, every Saturday night was a staple. Hockey Night in Canada. And George Retzlaff used a wet film to basically take the hockey play and then replay it later. In the mid-1950s, he experimented with a processor that basically developed film within 30 seconds, which was unheard of at that time. He used it in one game, but it failed. And so the advertising agency who was sponsoring Hockey Night in Canada said, you know what, no thank you. So the agency said, you know what, uh, we're just going to drop it, we're not going to use it. But they started using it in the 1960s, 1967, where they started to use it in the NFL. So the instant replay was courtesy of a Canadian, but he didn't get the, the process quite 100%. So they had to go back to the drawing board, I guess, and do it all over again. Who invented the damn TV? Oh, okay. Pretty cool. Who invented the TV? It's not that simple. The English in the UK want to think that a guy named John Logie Baird, kind of middle name is Logie, sounds like something you're going, Okay. <laughs> yes. Lugie. John Lugie Baird. But anyway, John Lugie Baird on the, he was living on the island of Trinidad, which is a commonwealth of England, uh, a little town called Santa Cruz. He was co coming off of an illness, and he was working with this thing called the Nipau disc, which eventually becomes one of the ways that they transfer the light onto the screen so that you could see a video image. That was in 1926 he was doing that. But also, at the same exact time, Charles French, Francis Jenkins. By the way, I think in order to be a scientist, you need three names. Charles right. Francis Jenkins. He, about the same time, was doing it in the United States with a very similar type disc setup. And then the what a lot of people call the father of television is Philo Farnsworth. Philo had such a cool name that he didn't need three names. Philo Farnsworth... Philo invented the disc that they would eventually use. So all three of them had a play in the same time frame, too, in the 1920s. They were all trying to race to do this, which is pretty cool. So the person who invented the instant replay was George Retzlaff, who was the innovator. Oh, we're back to this. <laughs> I'm going back in the instant replay. I'm getting it right this time, though. I'm going to tell you something. This segment should be called history because by the time you finish the instant replay, we're all going to be asleep and it'll be tomorrow. So the Wonder Bra, you know the Wonder Bra that uh, helps uh, boost up the bustier for the women? Uh, Canadian Moses Nadler is one of those people who popularized the brand. Nadler licensed the patent. He popularized it or he pop popularized it? Popularized it. <laughs> I just popularized it. Wow, I guess you're, getting, well, you're talking about breasts, so you got all nervous, you know, thinking your wife was gonna think something of this conversation. Wow, are, are you hot in here? Or is it just me? Ooh. Nadler licensed the patent from an American Israel pilot, was his name, and made the first Wonder Bra in 1939 at his Montreal based ladies' corset company. While pilot's patent expired in 1955, Nadler fought for and won the rights to the Wonder Bra name in several major markets. Wow. Shortly thereafter, the Wonder Bra we know and love, the Model 1300, for those of you who are scoring at home, mm -hmm. the push-up bra with the deep plunge, better known as Dream Lift, was designed by a Canadian lady employee, Louise Poirier, in 1961. 
Yeah, I learned how to take uh, a bra off on a 1300 model. Is <laughs> <laughs> that lift and separate? My last invention is a great one. Corn okay. flakes. John Harvey Kellogg, right? John Harvey yeah. Kellogg was this famous doctor. He was actually kind of a lunatic, sticking pipes mm-hmm. up people's poop shoots and giving them enemas and all kind. He was just a whack job. Okay, but John Harvey Kellogg did not invent the cornflake. In fact, he invented granola cereal, which he thought people should eat every single day, granola itself. But his brother, William Kellogg, was thought to be the dumb brother because he wasn't a doctor and I guess didn't uh, go through schooling and so on. William left a batch of granola out and it got mushy and it was put through this press thing to try to get the liquid out of it, and it invented the cornflake, which he then kept figuring, how can I make this into? And he ends up taking it and doing it himself. So William Kellogg is the guy who does the cornflake because his brother John really didn't even want to do it. Wow. Well, what's the slogan? Taste it again for the second time. Innovation, ideas, inventions. I hope that you were talking about the cornflakes and not the enema. No, our email address is tuipodcast at outlook.com. Please send us an email. If you know anything about enemas, send us an email. This should be interesting. (laughs) Very much so. Just as interesting as science. Einstein was a moron. Newton was a jerk. On the Totally Useless Information Podcast, Mad Scientist Roy, over to you. Okay. In 2017, something happened that was in plain sight all the time, but scientists never found it out. They discovered a new organ in the human body. That's right. And it wasn't Kellogg doing an enema. No, no. They discovered an organ which they named the mesentery organ. It connects, and it was in plain sight the whole time, but they had never noticed it. It actually connects the intestine to the abdomen, and it also aids in helping in immune functioning of the digestive system. But in 2017, they discovered this mesentery organ that they had not known of, an additional organ in the human body. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Mm-mm. So, have you ever heard of blood snow? No. Ukrainians have. Ukrainian scientists at a research station in Antarctica have shared photos of a strange natural phenomenon, red snow. Capable of surviving in extreme cold, this is an algae that's found throughout the world in polar and mountainous regions. Wow. It is the carotenoids in the algae's chloroplast that give the snow the red hue. Those are the same pigments that give pumpkins and carrots their orange-like color. These carotenoids are produced when the species of green algae receives lots of sunlight. Now, right now, the southern hemisphere, they're in the middle of summer, so the algae is turning red and giving the snow in the region a bizarre crimson hue. So I have found some photos of this phenomenon, and I put it up on our Totally Useless Information Podcast Facebook page. So if you go to Facebook and look up Totally Useless Information Podcast, and you go to the Blood Snow album, I created an album, you'll see the photos 
where you see these amazing pictures of blood snow. You know what's wild about that? Down in Florida, we have a phenomenon called red tide, and it's a very similar thing. It's the uh, carotenoids or whatever in the algae that bloom and turn red. Oh, yeah, look on Facebook, guys. Take a look at uh, Nick's bloody snow. Scientists have found that they can now, we all know that they can alter genetics and so on and so forth. But they actually have created a tool which they call the CRISPR-Cas9. The C-R-I-S-P-R, then another word, C-A-S-9. CRISPR-Cas9. They have actually now altered an embryo's DNA so that the gene that they altered no longer will have a genetic heart failure. Wow. So they have actually used this tool to alter an embryo's genetic structure so that it will come out with a perfectly good heart for the rest of its life rather than having heart failure, let's say, in its 30s or 40s or 50s. So scientists have discovered a way to make better batteries for your car with corn and potato starch. Corn and potato starch. That's right. The research team led by Dr. Hung Ji Young. Uh, <laughs> could you say that again? I don't want to because I know where you're going. The research team led by Dr. Hung Ji Young. They dissolved some starch in water and silicon in oil. These two compounds were then mixed with and then heated or basically fried. It probably that wasn't allowed... even a doctor. It was probably just some guy that was a cook at a Chinese takeout. He's putting oh, at a McDonald's. And cornstarch and water. That allowed the researchers to produce a carbon silicon composite and the new silicon anode, which allows the battery to charge more than 80% of its capacity in just five minutes. These were South Korean researchers who concluded that the carbon spheres prepared with corn and sweet potato starch can prevent the silicon swelling, therefore resulting in a high-output battery. It also makes a great side for, like, a sirloin steak. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like the sweet potato battery with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's 50 cents extra. You can have regular fries and sweet potato battery fries. Okay, pugs. You know the dog, the pug? Yes, people love pugs. I personally find them offensively ugly. And I've always said, that's not a pretty dog. That's an ugly dog. You don't know what they say about you. Well, you know, who cares what a pug says? <laughs> you can't understand them anyway. It's like, wow, 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 wow. It's like, speak yeah. English, pug. The pug is not yeah. cute. And it's not even really a dog. It's a mutated mistake. The reason their faces are like that is because they are a genomic mutation. Okay? So all you people that have pugs and go, look at how cute they are. They're abnormalities. And so what's the email address, Nick? Send it along with your affidavit from your lawyer, tuipodcast at outlook.com. Hey, this is something really cool and interesting. Someone was asked to play a violin in the operating room while they were performing brain surgery on her. Ooh, what? A patient at a British hospital played uh, some Gershwin on the violin while a tumor was removed from her brain so that the surgeons can preserve her ability to play music and honor her 40-year passion for the violin. 
Dagmar Turner, 53, she played her violin during an operation to remove a tumor from the right frontal lobe of the brain, close to the area that controls the fine movement of her left hand. They would map her brain, open the skull, and then get her to play as they remove the tumor. I don't believe it, Nick. Well, hold on. I'll, 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 we'll demonstrate in a moment. The surgeons wanted to ensure they did not damage any critical areas of the brain that controlled her delicate hand movement, specifically when playing the instrument. So while the surgeons cut away part of her brain, she played the violin, and this is what it sounded like in the OR. Listen, okay, did she play that crappy before the operation? <laughs> I don't know if she did. But oh, come on. Is. They could have picked somebody that could actually play the violin. I got a violin right here, okay? And I can play it better than that. I'm tempted to take the son of a bitch out oh, no. and play it. Oh, no, come on. They were doing it while they were performing brain surgery. I am tempted to hit myself in the head with a ball-peen hammer and play the violin. I can't wait to hear that. Einstein was a moron. Newton was a jerk. He equals nothing. It's science, science, science. For the end of the show, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. You're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast. Hold on a second. Hold on. One minute. While he's doing that, while he's putting away his violin, I'm going to open up the mailbag. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? Just to, just to let you know something. Uh, about two years ago, my wife purchased that violin for me because I do play guitar and so on. And she purchased the violin to see if I could play it. Uh, there was a person over the house... And I took it out of the box and actually started playing it. He's been playing violin for many, many years. I've never, I didn't even know he had a rosin the bow. And so he got so mad at me, he left the house. <laughs> he sounded wow. like the woman that was getting her head worked on. <laughs> By the way, if you're really concerned, the operation turned out really well and she's doing fine. Thank you. Uh, mailbag. Mike from Toronto asks... Where did the expression highway robbery come from? Ooh. There were a couple of stories in the news about how tow truck drivers, you know, they kind of, they show up at the accident barely just moments after the accident just happened. Some way, somehow, they show up on the side of the road. And, of course, they gouge all the people because where else are you going to go? It's highway robbery. So he wanted to know where the expression came from. So, Mike from Toronto, highway robbery probably originates from the old Western days. When people used to go around, get around by stagecoach, and robbers were known as highwaymen. And when they would rob the stagecoaches, they were known as highwaymen robbing the stagecoaches. So highway robbery became the expression. Ah, how cool. So, Mike, yeah. you don't want to get all jacked up, so to speak. But anyway, I have one. And this is Beverly. And Beverly writes the UK which is pretty large, vast area. You could have got a little more specific, Beverly. We don't actually come to your house. I don't know if you're afraid of us. But anyway, Beverly says, really? She said, do you, 
do you know um, my husband had his appendix out and this is how he started listening to your program because he was laid up and being laid up he had nothing to do so he stumbled upon your program and listened to it and now he's hooked so I thank I thank you Beverly and and Beverly said my husband was um, coming, getting well now from his appendix operation. So I figured, Beverly, I'd help you out a little bit. Your husband probably had his appendix taken out for absolutely no reason at all. Appendix that they think is a useless organ, which is great for this show, is not really a useless organ. In fact, the appendix stores useful bacteria and helps fight off infection and disease. In fact, it's now thought of that the appendix is a secondary defense organ. So, Beverly, thank you, though. Yeah, and really, thanks again for uh, listening. I know your husband binge listened while he was recovering and listened to every single show. He is now a lunatic for this show, and we thank you. Thank you very much. In fact, you know, there are some books that I looked through, and they'd had an appendix in the book, although some books, the appendix was missing. What's in the mailbag? What's in the mail? Let's go back in time just a little bit, shall we? Happy today, history. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I guess every day is uh, history. Yeah. Uh, hijacking a plane was outlawed in 1961. Jesus crazy. Why? I, I didn't even know that it was never against the law to begin with. Like, who thought it was? Like, who thought it wasn't against the law? Like, somebody say, well, you can't arrest me. I'm just hijacking a plane, and there's no law for that. Until 1961, when the first U.S. airplane hijacking occurred... The number of such incidents, also as known as skyjackings or air piracies, grew during the 1960s. They had nothing else better to do. With 40 attempts alone in 1969, many of the early hijacking incidents involved persons seeking to divert planes to Cuba, where they would seek asylum. And the hijackings became so numerous that the phrase, take me to Havana, entered popular culture. Oh, my God. But in 1961, the United States made the hijacking of an airplane a federal crime. It stopped the hijack hijinks. <laughs> what state was the last state to overturn interracial marriage? Just think about how ridiculous this is. It was Alabama. Alabama. Oh. It makes sense when you think about it. Alabama was so backwards when it came to interracial integration and i can mm -hmm. say those words because of my classical education but this is even more shocking do you know when it was overturned in the year 2000 wow so it was illegal to for a white 
male or female to marry a black male or female. Can you imagine how confused they are in Alabama now? Wait a minute. You're white. You're, you're white and she's white and you're a woman. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> that was pretty good. First off, you're interracial. Second off, you're a woman and a woman. I don't mind watching that stuff, but I don't want to marry you. <laughs> During the Middle Ages, murdering a traveling musician was not considered to be a serious crime. What? Murdering a traveling musician was not considered to be a serious crime. Listen to this one. This one I found really interesting. There was a, a founding father of the United States of America who, when he sold his house, this is long after he passed away, they found 1,200 bone fragments in his basement from 10 different skulls that they found in his basement of his home. So there's a possibility that one of the founding fathers of the United States may have been a mass murderer. And it's a friend of ours that we often talk about his sexual prowess, Benny Franklin! Sir Isaac Newton. You know Sir Isaac Newton. Is he the fig he guy? No, he's not. he didn't invent the fig, no. Sir Isaac Newton pioneered the laws of motion, the binomial theory, and calculus. That's right. He was quite reclusive, quirky, and mindless of his own personal hygiene. Really? He was so obsessed with his work, he often forgot to eat. At Cambridge, he was known for giving lectures, even if no one showed up for them. Rumor has it that he died as a virgin. What? So isn't it ironic that the man who pioneered the laws of motion never had any congress with any woman? Wait, wait a minute. He died a virgin. The guy, well, of course he died a virgin, the stinky bastard. He probably never took a bath. He is a disgusting pig. Nobody, that's why nobody came to listen to him. They were like, do you smell this guy? That's right. You know what? Maybe he invented birth control. <laughs> listen, that's kind of disgusting. But these guys were all freaky. Darwin was freaky, too. He would break out in boils all over his body. He was kind of freaky, too. We'll get yeah. to that in another show. Uh, what? Here was my teaser, by the way. What U.S. Yeah. president served the shortest term? And I mean, there are people out there that are listening that should know this, but they probably don't. It was William Henry Harrison. He was elected president, and two months later, he died of the common cold. So he literally served for two months. We don't even know exactly how long he served because how long was he sick for? But anyway, he died of the common cold and then was replaced as president. He served two months. Mm -hmm. That's really, really short. Which time he wrote the song Norwegian Wood. No, oh. I'm sorry. That's George Harrison. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I, I, get I, the Harrisons all mixed up. I guess every day is history. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. And you're listening to the Totally Useless Information Podcast. Oh, yeah. All about sex. Oh, yeah. Right. This has become 
one of the more popular segments on our show. We give them lots of ideas. They say the show is really great, but that one segment is touching. <laughs> so much so that we had to play this. The following segment of the Totally Useless Information Podcast may be too sultry and too sexy for some listeners. To the rest of you, please keep your hands where we can see them. Nick and Roy are not responsible for any monkey business as a result of this segment. All I know is I would not want to get in her crosshairs, man. Nick and Roy are not responsible for what goes on behind the scenes. You know what's funny? She could go from doing the food jingle, which is crazy and funny. Come and get it! To this. Too sultry and too sexy. <laughs> One person wants spontaneous sex. The other wants to schedule sex. So there's quite a dilemma. The spontaneous partner associates good sex with when you feel like it approach. A licensed clinical social worker who practices in Charlottesville, Virginia, has come up with uh, with some studies. And on the flip side, some like to put it on the calendar. The other partner says spontaneity on midnight at, on the Tuesday just doesn't work when you have to get up early in the morning. They can't relax because the kids are around or they like to be able to do something more prepping. These couples should find a middle ground and find the best time to have sex. They yeah. need to find some combination that is a win-win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm married 36 years. Uh, we're we've scheduled sex for the year 2023, <laughs> <in> February, <laughs> for my birthday. I agree, though, that the scheduled sex thing's probably really good because it takes a while for that Viagra to kick in. Oh my God. Well, okay. So the average male orgasm. How do you think? How long do you think it lasts? The average male. Well, well, I remember that uh, the lion's orgasms last around 17 seconds. I'm going to say higher than 17 seconds. No. Actually, the average male orgasm lasts six seconds. Six seconds. It would have been over already. The average female orgasm, it's a lot of work for six seconds, but the average female orgasm, 20 seconds. Okay? Oh. 20 seconds. And they're constantly bitching. And they get 20 seconds, and we get six. It's like three what times you, the orgasm. Yeah, so what, what do you want me to do with the 14 seconds? Well, they should be scheduling things. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another question. When is it a good time to have sex? When is it a good time to have a good time? You know what I mean? <laughs> sex is a powerful thing. In addition to improving our mood, sex can also whittle your waistline. Research shows that it can even lengthen your life. Hormones peak and valley throughout the day, and synchronizing yours with your partner's could lead you to even more enjoyable sex than ever, according to a hormone expert, Alisa Vitti. So what's the best time? What time of day is the best time to have sex? According to Alisa Vitti, a hormone expert, 3 p.m. Really? 3 p.m. The best time to have sex. In the afternoon right. when you should be working. That's right. So most people are screwing around at work at 3 p.m. when they should be working. They just had lunch at 12, took a 15-minute right. break at 1.30, and by right. 3, they're in the copier room doing the nasty. 
Yeah, but it's okay because by 302, they're back to work. Yeah, but wait, I got one better for you. What what does my orgasm and my Porsche reaching 60 miles an hour have in common? Six seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This one really shocked me. The left testicle hangs lower and to the left on right-handed men. Let me check. Hang on. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. You're a lefty. Your right testicle should hang lower and to the right. So Hold on. Which is a very famous song. To the left, to the left, testicle to the left, yo, testicle to the right, yo. Find it. Hang on. (laughs) Oh, I get it now. I got it. Okay. Just look on the floor, Nick. That's how old you are. Sexy smell. We automatically perceive people who smell good as more attractive. A pleasant smell emanating from a potential romantic partner is, of course, a plus. But we are biologically wired to be drawn more strongly to people whose natural chemicals or pheromones trigger reactions in us. Perhaps that's why perfumes exist. Smelling nice can lead to a higher perception of overall experience. It can also signify cleanliness. Mm, don't tell Sir Isaac Newton. I was going to say, can... that's the reason why nobody screwed around with Newton. The fig that's Newton. Right. And can add to your odor print. Everyone has their own, quote, odor print. Oh, like a Something that is uniquely yours, sort of like our own fingerprints, but it's an odor print. Now, think about this one. The first animals, or the first microorganisms and beings, did not have sex. They they were single organisms that just generated from themselves. So they technically did not have sex with a partner. First animal scientists have found out that had sex for the first time, that animal was called Phognacia dorothea. Okay? So could you, Italian? Well, could you imagine the other organisms going, want to see a Dorothea? Check out what she's doing. That's right. <laughs> no, it's yeah. actually called Phonacea Dorothea was the first animal being thought to have sex with another being to propagate. Otherwise, the expression go screw yourself related to the other animals. Wow. 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 Time flies on this show. It really does. It goes so fast. This is all the time that we have for this episode of the Totally Useless Information Podcast. We will have more for you next time. So in the meantime, we need you to tell a friend. We need you to share. We need you to go on Facebook. We need you to share this show because it is a wealth of information. It has grown so fast, and we thank you for that. But we also are now asking you for your help. So please, share it with a friend. They'll thank you. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.